wasn't yelling because I'm a mean person or I'm a bad person. If you find yourself yelling, it's your cry for help. We can't expect children to do exactly what we want them to do every single day, every single moment, because they're not robots, they're human beings. Hi everybody, Lynn Smith here, and welcome to Stroller Coaster, the podcast that takes you on the wild ride of parenting that we're all on together, created by Munchkin. No wonder they're the most loved baby brand in the world. We have such a great show for you today. I'm going to talk with national award-winning educator, Dr. Shawana Chambers, otherwise known as Dr. Shay, about ways to prevent yelling and a phrase she used with her daughter that helped her child grow. And then you're going to hear a profound story from author Rachel Macy Stafford about why and how she stopped yelling cold turkey. Plus, as always, if you stick around to the end, you might just win something. You know, I have to be honest, I am very passionate about this topic because it's probably the number one thing I struggle with as a mom. And I hate to Mm. admit it, I actually was wondering whether or not I should, but I want to be fully transparent and, and genuine with you, the listener, that this is something that I really have a hard time with. And this isn't like I go around my house being like, rah, 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 rah. this is, I try and be patient, get your shoes on, come on, we've got to go. And 10 minutes later, come on, we got, get your shoes on. Yeah. <laughs> and it's one of those things that I know that this is not something that's helpful, but I don't know what else to put into practice other than patience because that's not working for me. I mean, yelling is one of those things that it escalates quickly. And then afterwards, I just feel like I, as a parent, I'm like, ooh, I don't know if that was necessary. Yeah. Um, and you, there's some regret there, but then it's just so hard because it, it's such an in-the-moment thing. And you know, it's hard to know what to do. And, you know, I can see when I really do, like, I'll be in the car and I'll be like, enough, stop fighting. And you can see in their face, like, you get their attention, but you're not quite sure if you're getting their attention for good or maybe for worse. And that's really what I want to try and dig into. Like, yes, the attention is what you want, but you want the outcome to be positive. You want them to be able to make good choices and to follow direction for the happiness of the family, not just screamed at, and that's why they're behaving. Yeah, I mean, that's why I'm excited to hear um, sort of how to move forward, because yelling in a vacuum definitely doesn't work. Uh, (laughs) Yelling in a pillow works for me. Yes, that's good. Yelling in a pillow. (laughs) Huge takeaway from this episode. If you've ever asked yourself, how do I stop yelling? You are in the right place, and I am right here with you. We are going to do our best to answer that question. And you don't have to admit you're a yeller. We'll keep your secret. Dr. Shea is an award-winning educator whose story went viral when she responded to her daughter one day in a particular way. Dr. Shea, I'm so looking forward to this conversation. Thank you for being here. There was just this moment, right? This enlightenment that you had with your daughter. Can you tell us about it? My daughter and I were out and about running some errands. I was talking to her about something and she had a little attitude when she was responding to me and she doesn't normally respond to me with the tone that she had. And so I let it go for a little bit and then it just didn't stop. But instead of yelling, which would escalate that situation. So I told her, I was like, listen, you're not in trouble. I asked, what is going on? What can we do 
to fix what's going on right now. And in that moment, like she just kind of stared at me for a second and then just started crying. And, and she was like, I don't know. So she and I had a moment to talk about, like, it's okay to not know. I wanted her to know that this was an opportunity for us to just talk. My child is not just with me. She goes to school and she has other situations. And so I wanted to reassure her. I just want to know how to help you. Just hearing that, it sounds like you diffused a potentially screaming outcome because you had a mutually respectable conversation with your six-year-old. And where that could have gone was, stop doing that. Stop behaving like that. Stop behaving like that. And that's what I think so many of us feel is the only last resort we have. It builds and builds the anger, and finally we just lose it. So is there something we can say to ourselves to stop us from getting to that point where we just think yelling's the only thing I have left to get them to listen? Sure. One of the things that I ask myself in those moments is, do I want to establish power and authority or do I want to understand my child? Because I can very easily say, I'm the mother. You do what I tell you to do. End of discussion. But I could also ask myself, what is the unmet need? What is happening right now that is causing my child to feel that this is the only way they can communicate? And yes, that's a little bit harder because it doesn't rely on ego and it doesn't rely on an unbalanced or imbalanced power dynamic. And it requires me to keep myself in check and to be thinking about how I am responding in a moment that is pretty emotionally charged. That's so powerful. And I said at the beginning of the show, this is really um, heavy for me because it's what I feel as a parent I fail the most at. But in these moments, you feel like you don't have another alternative. And I want to go through a couple of different scenarios. So just one example that happened to me that I know is common for a lot of parents out there is we were visiting my in-laws and my son was just really misbehaving. And I can't yell in front of my in-laws. So I was, stop doing that, please. Like all the parenting things that we try and put into place. So I finally just said, we're going to the grocery store. And I put the kids in the car. I pulled around the corner and I just lost it. What do you think you're doing? (laughs) You can't behave like this. And that's just one of those situations where you're trying to keep it together and then you lose it after the fact. Is there anything that we can do to avoid that outcome? Sure. That is very real and something that a lot of parents struggle with, especially if you're stressed and we have almost like these personas that we want to maintain when we're in public places or with other people. And so when when our children are not doing the things that we need them to do to maintain that persona, it gets really frustrating. Sometimes asking a child, what are you, what what are you doing right now? What's the rationale? Like, what, what are you thinking? What's going through your mind? Um, So that you can start to help them develop the vocabulary to express what's happening within them. You can ask, like, what is your body feeling right now? What emotions do you feel right now? Because maybe he's tired. And this is the only way that he really knows how to communicate to you that he's tired. I always try to focus on the questioning and trying to get children to think about what they're experiencing in that moment so that they can try to describe it to you. And then you as the adult will probably have more context for what they're feeling. Maybe they're anxious, right? Maybe they're hungry. Maybe they're tired. Maybe they don't know how to engage with adults who want to hug them and they don't want to hug them back. 
There could be so many things. Let's give some other scenarios. And this is the number one thing I think everyone listening goes through. The morning routine. (laughs) Get out the door. Put your shoes on. Put your coat on. Get out the door. Put your shoes on. Did you hear me? Put your shoes on. Put your shoes on. (laughs) It just goes in that downward spiral. What is the strategy for effective morning communication because they don't know or have any concept of time? One of the things that parents, myself included, we mess ourselves up with is we don't plan out the time. If we wake up late, then we expect the children to make up for the fact that we woke up late. Children don't have the same sense of urgency that we do as adults. They're not supposed to. So One is planning out enough time. Give yourself a cushion. I know that when I wake up, I need like 10 minutes before I can get started. If you go to your children's door and you say, okay, time to wake up, it's not necessarily realistic for you to expect them to get out of the bed immediately because you don't even get out of bed immediately. And recognize that we're human beings, not robots. We can't expect children to do exactly what we want them to do every single day, every single moment, because they're not robots. They're human beings. We don't do everything that we know we're supposed to do. So making sure that we remember our children's humanity in those beginning of day situations and routines is really important. When you have places that your children need to be or that you need to be, it just helps to sit down and calculate those things. Every minute counts. For the little ones, the three to five, and that's the range I'm in. Even this morning, my almost six-year-old is digging through the toy basket. I'm like, we've got to go. And he can't pull himself away. It's like he's not prepared or ready yet. So what do we do for the younger ones? Try giving them a job or a role. Like, hey, your job is to make sure you get two toys. One thing that they can remember to do. And they're going to be excited about getting that thing done. Oh, I mean, not robots. We are human. And so many times we just want it to be easy. Just, I'm an adult. I can get out the door. Kids don't operate like that. This also happens with having to repeat ourselves. If we're saying something like, it's time to eat dinner, please sit down. It's time to eat your dinner, eat your dinner. It's the same thing and they don't listen. Is there a more effective way to word it rather than just saying the same thing over and over again? This is an area that I have had to work on a lot because I don't personally like to repeat myself. I've heard a statistic where the average person needs about seven opportunities to hear the same thing in different ways before it is committed to memory, right? Or before they internalize it. So you think about how many times you have to ask your child to put their shoes on. And it gets frustrating, right? Like to have to repeat it even two times or three times, but understand sometimes they may not have actually heard you or they were thinking about something else while you were talking because you didn't stop to make eye contact, speak to them about, hey, I need you to do this for this reason. That repetition's important. Kids being really noisy, you know, we want quiet as adults, but that's just not the reality of childhood. They want to be jumping around and playing. Is there a way for us to really engage their inner child excitement and not go crazy ourselves? Our children are part of our families and the home belongs to them as well. I am a personal fan of silence, (laughs) but I recognize that my children like to play. And so when I really need that time to myself, I find another way to get that. I put my earphones in. Sometimes I go outside. There are ways for me to get what I need so my children can also get what they need. And I think it's really important to 
remember that a home is for everyone. And so even though I'm the adult, I should not feel that I have the power to quiet everybody else because I don't want to hear noise. I can also, because I'm the adult, go other places, whereas my children can't. They are part of this family and part of our home, and they deserve my consideration in that way. I think this is something so many parents are are having a hard time with when it comes to not just them being loud, but sibling rivalry. (laughs) You know, it's one thing for them to be playing and you just going in the other room, maybe putting your earphones in. But when they are fighting nonstop and then listen to you, it is hard to not resort to screaming to just get them out of the fight that they're in. And then you're just contributing to the chaos. You can ask your child, how does your teacher get your attention in school? Do they have a countdown? Do they put their hand up? Like, do they do a, you know, one, two, three, all eyes on me? And then use that because they tend to be, for lack of a better word, conditioned to hear that and know, okay, I need to pay attention right now. I want to make some of these changes and I'm just a really awful story to admit to, but I think it's a really good example in this age of Zoom. When I was back in my anchor days doing an interview at home and I had my guest not up yet and I had not known that he joined the meeting when I went out and just was screaming at the kids to be quiet. And I walked back in and I sat down and there he was sitting with like this look on his face that was like... <laughs> oh boy. Uh, and I just profusely apologize. And I realized, gosh, we're all in these e- incredibly unrealistic situations of having to work from home, the kids there, it feels impossible to not scream in these situations. So is there something that we can do proactively to avoid this? Yes. Also, I think this is part of all of us, I hope, recognizing that we're human beings. We have children at home and we have pets and, you know, these things happen. But I'll take, for example, today I'm at home, I'm recording and I remember to put that I'm recording outside the door so that everyone knows when you walk past mom's door, be quiet because there's recording happening in progress. It's part of that prep. Hey, from this time to this time, I'm going to be interviewing someone. I really needed to be quiet because you know that it's going to pick up everything that's happening behind me. And then when I'm finished, I'll come and let you know, I'll take the sign off the door so that they know because they want to be considerate of you. They care about you and what you're doing. But if we don't take the time to talk to them about our lives and what's happening and what we're responsible for, then it's going to be really difficult to hold them to certain expectations and standards. One of the ways that I try to set expectations and also remember my children's humanity is when we're going to go somewhere for the day, I will tell my children, here's what we're doing today. We're going to go here, we're going to go there, and then we'll be back at the house. And I think that's important because it helps them understand what's getting ready to happen. So when we get somewhere and there's a tantrum, or we get somewhere and there's a smart mouth or something like that. Well, I kind of set the tone for that. Not preparing them is like saying, I'm the adult, I set the rules, you're just along for the ride. So we don't want our bosses telling us those types of things like, I set all the expectations, you just do what I tell you to do without any regard for how this impacts you. We talk about those types of bosses and we don't talk about them in good ways. So I think if we start to transfer some of these things that we expect from others as adults, 
then we can give that to our children. We help them also learn how to manage themselves because we've prepared them. Part of the theme I feel like through all of this is setting expectations, realistic expectations and being human in the process. And finally, if somebody has been a yeller, does it take a long time to make some of these changes? Good question. I don't think so. I think yelling is a choice that we can either commit to yelling or we can commit to stop that. And when we commit to stopping that, we have to figure out what we're replacing it with. It's the same with anything else you want to unlearn. You have to replace it with something else, something that's valuable and something that is going to strengthen your relationship and your communication skills. That's where that self-awareness comes into play and that internal work and that reparenting of ourselves that we have to do because a lot of times adults mimic what they saw growing up, how they saw other adults treat children. As we grow, we learn new ways to do things. There's also power in acknowledging like, hey, this isn't the best way to do it. And I want to do something different. I can do this in a way that honors my child. And I want everybody listening to hear that. Commit to it. And don't be so hard on yourself. If in an instant you fail at it, it's okay to continue and try and be your best. Dr. Shea, such incredible advice and information. Thank you so much for being with us. Thank you. This has really been insightful for me. As I've told you, I I need to put some of these things into practice, as hard as it is to admit. And the biggest takeaway for me is that my reaction to their behavior dictates what's going to happen next. So the more I yell, the more things are going to go downhill. And that's just <laughs> a light bulb moment for me, that I'm contributing to this as much as the behavior is. Yeah. Well, first off, I want to shout out just how open you were in that conversation about talking about this in a very real way, because that's, I feel like that lets all of us be able to be like, I also am that way. And I think that's hugely important because it's so easy to be like, I don't really yell that much. But when it's like, well, let's deal with what we actually do. So shout out to you, Lynn, first off. Well, I think it's unrealistic to pretend that this is an Achilles heel for so many parents. I mean, we are overwhelmed and there's always room to take some of this advice and grow from it. For me, like sort of what you're saying, the idea like, do you want to exert authority over your children or do you want to understand? them. And I think like that's it's like when you see this as not just a sort of authority versus child and just like two sides of an argument, then it becomes much easier to be like, well, then I'm not going to walk into a room and yell. If you had a disagreement with a coworker, you wouldn't just haul off and yell at them. You'd have to like talk to them. Putting everyone on an even footing is a great starting point. Yeah, it's that mutual respect that she said that really stood out. It's looking at your child and saying, there's clearly something wrong. Rather than getting upset and yelling, let me just sit down and talk to them. And guess what? They'll talk back. That's what she was explaining. She had that moment with her daughter where all she had to do was ask that one question, and it opened up a pretty incredible door. I mean, it's hard to respect someone uh, whose Legos you just cleaned up. I get that. (laughs) But if you do, or I think it really is. their milk in your face. <laughs> it's like, excuse me, ma'am, but I just cleaned up your vomit recently. So it's hard to. Uh, but seriously, I but think it try. is a great. Yeah, it's you have to make that effort. Is it possible to stop yelling today and remain yell-free? Well, Rachel Macy Stafford took steps with her children that changed their lives. Here's our correspondent, Fleece, with the parenting story of the day. 
When Rachel's two daughters were little, she was stressed. She was trying to go to school, be a mom, her husband was traveling, and they had just moved to a new community. Not to mention, she held herself to very high standards. My stress was causing me to respond to my daughters just being kids, just making innocent mistakes or taking a long time to get ready to go out the door. It was becoming a pattern for me that I was reacting in a critical and harsh manner to my daughters because of my own feelings of stress. She noticed this was starting to affect her daughters. As I became more overreactive and critical and had these very high expectations on my children, I noticed that they were shying away from trying new things and they were getting apprehensive, maybe even a little hopeless. Like, no matter what I do, my mom's going to be upset with me or my mom can't be pleased. My older daughter would try very hard to fix things. She saw, okay, mom's starting to get upset. I'm going to fix it. And that was causing a lot of anxiety for her. She was picking her lip until it bled. My younger daughter was just scared. I could see the fear in her face when my voice started to raise. One day, her older daughter, Natalie, reached up into the pantry to get a snack. She spilled an entire bag of rice And as you can imagine, you know, that's like 10,000 little grains of rice hitting the floor. And of course, as I was about to yell and make a big deal about it, I saw her face and I could see that she was terrified of my reaction to an innocent mistake. Seeing her vulnerable, that was a very painful moment I didn't yell for the first time in a long time. I bent down and I just started picking up the rice. I sat with that pain on the floor, you know, my knees down there in the rice. We picked it up together and I thought to myself, I don't want my children to grow up being scared, scared of me, scared of making a mistake, scared of being who they are, scared of being human. I just knew that's not who I want to be. That's not how I want my girls to go through life. And and that's going to become their internal voice. You're not good enough. And I didn't know how or why. I didn't know how do I get out of this, but I knew something needed to change. Rachel's first change was acknowledging her own inner pain. I wasn't yelling because I'm a mean person or I'm a bad person. If you find yourself yelling, it's not because there's something wrong with you. It's your cry for help. It's your way of saying, I'm in distress. Something is not working here. And I don't know how to fix this, but I need help. She realized she was yelling because she didn't feel heard. So she decided to take time to listen. When you're living this maxed out, stretched too thin life, the little things are going to become big things. Listening to myself was almost like a gateway to learning how to respond more compassionately to my children. She said moms don't have time to restore. So even though she was tired, she woke up 10 minutes early. No phone, no computer, no to-do list. 
just time to hear what she was trying to say. She was moved to do something that brought her peace as a little girl, writing in a notebook. Being able to get my feelings out and be able to make connections that said, ah, I yell a lot when we are leaving the house. Why is it that I yell before I leave the house? Because I just stood in front of the mirror and I berated myself for 10 minutes. I realized that bully that was telling my kids to hurry up or, oh, why did you have to do that? Or why are you causing us to be late? Was the bully inside me? Those are the things I was saying to myself. Rachel, you can't go out looking like that. Rachel, what makes you think you have something to share? The mirror was very triggering for me as I became a mother. I didn't have the same kind of control over things in my life. My body changed. What I was able to do with my time and my energy had changed. And I still wanted to hold myself up to this very high, unrealistic standard that I was holding myself to when I was single. It felt like I was coming up short all the time. When I realized the mirror was a really triggering territory for me, I actually stopped looking in the mirror. Rachel looked at what was triggering her to yell and why she was having these feelings. Now she was able to tell her daughters what was going on. For example, she'd let them know if she was feeling upset about something, that's why she might be impatient. She was amazed. Not only did they relate to her feelings, but it became what she called a connective opportunity. They were so happy to know what was going on. Natalie finally realized, mom isn't mad at me. You know, she's over there picking her lip because she thinks she's the cause of my anger. But then by communicating with her, she realizes, oh, mom said she's worried about grandma because grandma's in the hospital. And that's why she's being impatient. And this is what I can do to help. And so it would take that pressure off Natalie and Avery so they could know you don't have to fix your mom here. Rachel also paid attention to her body's cues. It was very powerful for me to recognize when I was starting to head down a path where I might start yelling or I might overreact. And when I felt myself kind of like becoming hot or my face getting red or my hands getting sweaty, I felt like, okay, my body's giving me a signal that I am upset right now and I am going to tell myself only love today. Using the phrase only love today helped her stop the inner critic and change course before yelling. She empowered her daughters in the process. We had this distress signal where basically I would say if mom is talking to you in a way that hurts you or I'm being too harsh I just want you to put your hand on your heart. I am going to take a deep breath when I see you do that, and I'm going to tell myself only love today. And that's going to give us a chance to get back on the path that we want to be on. Rachel said that when you keep a very high standard, of course you're going to yell because everything feels out of your control. 
So instead of focusing on where she was falling short, she came up with a trick. I just started keeping a little tally in my pocket on a little post-it note when I would choose a gentle, kind, loving response. It was amazing because by the time it was noon, I had 20 hash marks on that paper. And I thought, look at that, Rachel. You know, you get so focused when you're not doing all the things that you want to do right. But look at all the things you are doing with love. It also helped her embrace more realistic and important expectations. We think we have to do all these things and we go through all these hoops. But when it comes down to it, crawling in that bed at night beside them and saying, I have 10 minutes and they're all yours. What do you want to talk about? That is everything. That 10 minutes of talk time connection has lasted over a decade. As teenagers, they still want the talk time. It's not as often, but man, I cherish it. Rachel stopped yelling, and the results she saw in Natalie and Avery came quickly. There was more laughter. There was less fear of making a mistake. They were willing to try things. They were communicating their feelings. They were more relaxed in my presence. And Natalie was able to stop biting her lip and talk to me. She started making a garden in the backyard all by herself. So watching them take risks and not be afraid reinforced me to know this is the kind of mom I want to be. I want them to feel safe and free to be themselves. Avery loved to stop and check out rocks and sidewalk cracks and hug the lady behind the cash register. And being able to see her thrive as her very intentional self just seeing them blossom and their gifts flourishing was just truly, truly reinforcing for me. Rachel and her daughters put connection, communication, and love over speed and distraction. What did moving forward look like? When Avery was about five, we had ridden our bikes to a snow cone shack on vacation, and she had gotten her beautiful, yummy, tasty treat and was getting ready to dig in. All of a sudden she said, Mom, do I have to rush? The pained look on her face made me realize, you know, the scars of a hurried life don't just disappear. And I can either feel sad that I created these scars or I can rejoice in the fact that now I'm aware and I can make a new choice. I chose to live in that moment and say, you don't have to rush, baby. Just take your time. She just relaxed and she smiled. And then Avery gave me the last bite of her snow cone and reminded me that life is sweeter when we take time and we notice and we appreciate all the beautiful moments that are happening and we don't rush through them. Yes, there are times we have to be on a schedule, but 
We get so caught up in this idea that we always have to be on a schedule that we find ourselves yelling to hurry up when maybe we don't need to be yelling hurry up. Just because the world is going 100 miles an hour doesn't mean I have to, doesn't mean my family has to. It honestly almost gives me the goosebumps hearing her put all of the things we talked about in this episode to practice and show us it works. Yeah, I mean, what the awareness that she shows in this story. And I just love it. My big takeaways from this are getting up early and taking time to hear yourself. Tomorrow morning, we can get up 10 minutes early and just go for a walk and and think about ourselves for a second, which seems like something, oh, I do that. And then it's like, no, I actually don't do that at all. From the time I get up, time I go to sleep, I'm doing stuff. Adding that 10 minutes of peace, I think, is just great advice. And I think that her point that we're so rushed and that we have this expectation of perfection as parents that's impossible to live up to. So when something goes wrong, it's like us screaming for help. Help, this is supposed to be going a different way. Whereas if we just shed all of that, we accept what the situation is and we react lovingly. That's, I mean, yeah. there are a million takeaways that I have from this episode as we've, you know, looked at how we are all trying to be better. And the first part of that is looking at what it is that we need to improve on and to know that it can give our children this completely new way to connect with us. For me, this just makes me mm. feel not alone. Yeah, 100%. I just hear echoes of myself being like, where's your other mitten? We have to go. <laughs> and I'm like, ah, I probably I could cool it on the mitten panic. And finally, time for stroller mail. Why I'm so excited? Because I finally get to talk to you. I get to hear your ideas. I get to hear your problems. I get to commiserate with you because you may feel like you failed. And I want you to know you're not alone. We've all been there. This is a way for us to connect. We told you this is a community. And that's what stroller mail is all about. So let's get started with Jackie V. Here's what she writes to us. I use little butterfly clips in my hair, but I forget to put them away, so they're all around my house. And I was cleaning the other day, and I had other stuff in my hands, so as I went, I just put the clips in my hair, figuring when I got to the bathroom, I'd put them in the container. Well, unfortunately, I forgot about that, and I forgot to look in the mirror before I left for a meeting and took my kids to school. So I'm sitting there having a serious conversation with the teacher, and I had no idea she's looking at me with all of these clips randomly in my hair. I get home, and I look in the mirror, And I was mortified. Have you ever done something embarrassing like that where you've gone out without preparing? Yes, Jackie, I have. (laughs) Every day. Mine, I know, my most recent one was slippers. I I walk up to my son's drop-off and I look down and I'm like, oh, ah, yes, those are in fact slippers. (laughs) Oh, I'm outside in slippers like a normal person. I feel like I do this on a daily basis. Just the other day, I was out and I realized I was covered in green baby food all over my shirt. I feel like everyone's like, oh, are you a painter? Are you painting now? And I'm like, no, Uh, my kids are messy and I don't pay attention. You stuck around. We're giving away $250 Munchkin gift cards. The first two people to use the code Deep breath at munchkin.com. Get $250 off your purchase. That's deep breath, one word, no spaces. 
That's the show for today. I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. And thank you for taking this wild ride with us. Thanks to our guests, Dr. Shea and Rachel Macy Stafford. And as always, thank you for listening. You're why we do this. So please encourage others like your playdates, your friends, to listen to the show so we can spread the word. And thank you to Munchkin. No wonder they're the most loved baby brand in the world. You can find all your favorite Munchkin products at Bye Bye Baby. At Stroller Coaster, we are about community. So if you have a stroller mail story that you like to share, a question, or maybe it's a topic that you want to hear more about, reach out to us at podcast at munchkin.com. Hey, Lynn, I just wanted to jump in here to um, remind everyone about our other podcast for kids. It's called Stroller Coaster Storytime. It's great stories with a super original take. Um, definitely check it out. And then I want to say uh, next week is our Stroller Mail episode. It's going to be so fun. And now something I know, personally, all of us need. It's a time out just for us. Munchkin loves our planet and cares about the environment. So for today's audio moment of calm, we'll enjoy the quiet sounds of a pebble-covered beach in Maine. Enjoy, and we'll see you next time on Stroller Coaster.